that scene where she says, leave me alone. Come on, you've been there. <laughs> I got family in your home and, you know, chaos and all that and your microphone won't work right. I, we have such good people in this church. I'm telling you what, like people running sound, people greeting during a pandemic. I come up here to lead prayer. My mask breaks. I go down to my front seat. There's a new mask on the front row. Come on, we got good, good people around us here. And they say you're only as good as people around you. And if that's true, man, I'm a blessed person in my life. I love the video because it says this, that the, the title of the video is actually Unprecedented Thanks. And, and I love to say this, and I hope that that's true of your life today, that you have some unprecedented thankfulness because Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle, isn't it? Giving thanks is a lifestyle, and some people live that lifestyle like 52 weeks a year. And so I hope that that's a lifestyle in your life. This week, um, we're hoping to have a gathering on Thursday, only 100 people. Again, only those who uh, really want to come should come and feel safe and all that coming. By the way, it's so weird to be a pastor and be like, we need to shave 40, 50 people off the weekend gatherings this week. You know, you spend your whole life trying to grow the church. You're like, could you just kind of not come to the gathering live this week? And it's been really interesting. Um, so we are going to have a gathering on Thanksgiving, at least right now. We'll find out like Wednesday night. You know, you got to keep checking back in because everything's changing all the time. And for those of you that, um, you know, Thanksgiving is traditionally a day where you are in a gathering at church and you can't be. We're going to have like a 10 to 15 minute, more of like a devotional, super powerful my story, one song of Thanksgiving and a devotional thought on Thanksgiving. And it might be a great day just at home, just like, hey, let's just kind of, you know, while we're putting in the turkey or whatever you're doing, put on the video just for 15 minutes and just kind of engage there. I think if you do so, you'll be blessed. So a short, small gathering here and then a short video for everyone online this Thursday. Um, here's what we know. Every live gathering might be our last. So as we thought about it, honestly, there wasn't this like angst in me, like we got we to gotta push against our government. It was more like, you know what, some people, this gathering is extremely, extremely important to not just our physical and mental health, our spiritual health. Or like some people, like this is so extremely helpful. And many people have said, like during the time we were online only, I really tried, but I was really hurting and suffering. So thank you for every time we get to do this. And so we're not promising anything. This could be the last one for this year. I don't know. Um, if you're live, um, if you're online, you know, that's the beauty of it, that we can be online everywhere at once. And if we go to online only, we'll probably just have one big 10 o'clock gathering every Sunday, which is like everybody all online all at the same time. And for those of you that are like, man, I'm not an online person, like, I think that we need to press into Jesus enough to figure it out. Four amens in the live gathering on that one, people. You, you people at home can pray for these that are here, okay? Um, because it is uh, harder for some of us than for others. Um, let me ask the question real briefly, are you unprecedentedly thankful? And if so, what are you thankful for? I know you got a list of things that you're not thankful for, but what are you choosing to be thankful for in your life? Um, for me, the last uh, you know, few weeks, I've had some time to just be able to go and bless family, extended family, to help them with moving or fixing up or remodeling or something. And it feels kind of good at the end of the day to be like, man, we put in a day or two or three helping uh, family, going around just being a blessing. Doesn't it feel good to help people? And I want to remind you of this. If you are kind of like so shut in that you're, you're having a hard time helping people, there's this like cutoff of joy in your life when you're not helping someone else. So some of you, you're pouring into your family and your home, and that's fantastic. But if you can help people outside of your home, um, it will bring joy to your soul. I really believe that. 
And so and don't let a pandemic stop you from uh, helping others. Don't, don't just stay inside and veg out. You know, when you play like a sports game and you work yourself, you know, and you go to sleep at night, you can fall asleep and you just feel good because you put in the time and the effort. You know, when you sat in front of a TV for eight hours, it's harder to sleep. Right? You just don't have that same sense of accomplishment and, and being worn out because of a good reason, because you did something to be a blessing to someone. So I want to encourage you, make sure you're not just vegging out during this time. If you have a Bible today, we're in Philippians chapter 1. We had planned to go into a series on the book of Philippians. We'll break for Christmas and go back to it. And we decided, you know what, we're going to stay the course during this time and preach the Bible because we believe in a meat and potatoes kind of following Jesus. It's not based on all the roller coasters. The Bible is true. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Somebody at home said amen. I just couldn't hear them. All right, good. Maybe they typed it. That's cool too. Hey, before we get started on Philippians chapter 1, let me tell you a story. Because everybody is filled with angst. Um, People are kind of out of sorts. And so like when I go into the grocery store, I just tell myself, be kind. Like, don't cuss in your head, okay? (laughs) Mostly that's for Pastor Dave, not for me. But like I just really, I have to tell myself, like, slow down. Don't get worked up about things that aren't a big deal, right? And so... um, I have this, uh, you know, you all have some neighbors, and not all of your neighbors are easy to live next to. And everybody here has probably got that one neighbor or an eccentric neighbor or someone who just, you know, for whatever reason, just kind of makes life a little difficult. And so this last year, um, we were out in our yard. It was our family of four, and uh, the whole family were outside, and we were, I had this gas-powered weed whacker. And I mean, I look like the man when I use it, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I'd start that thing up because I had the battery-operated one, No. I had the electric one. Come on. I need the Holy Spirit powered, like, you know, (laughs) gas powered. So I get that thing, and it just tears through the weeds in the yard, and it just goes like that. And and you just kind of feel like your chest is pumped out a little bit when you use it. So I have these glasses on, and I'm in the yard. And, um, you know, for us, like, different days, like Monday is usually my day of rest, and now it's kind of changing. So we're out in the yard on on a Sunday late afternoon. We have a great time in church. We're out there. And um, we're doing family time together. It was really fun. And I shut the, the gas-powered weed whacker off. And the neighbor is on the other side of the fence. And she's looking at me like this, just kind of glaring and mad. And she goes, <clears throat> and I shut it off, and it all of a sudden gets kind of quiet. To, you know, and she looks, at him, she looks at me, and she goes, disturbing the peace. And on the Sabbath, too. I hate it when my neighbors find out I'm a pastor, right? It was so funny. I was like, wow, like for me, this is, this is my rest. This is my family time. And Sunday is not a Sabbath for pastors, right? So I just kind of, Lord, I'm going to let that go, right? Well, um, just a few months later after that, I was uh, talking to another neighbor, helping them out, or they were helping me out. And uh, the subject of this neighbor came up. She said, yeah, I don't think she's a real big fan of yours. <laughs> Oh, don't you wonder what people say about you when you're not around? And so uh, I was talking, and they said, yeah. Um, she said to me the other day, she said, you know, those people are pastors that live in that house over there. You, you'd think for pastors that their dog would be better behaved than that. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, oh, my goodness. So whether you got someone who's kind of an ornery neighbor or family member or friend, or you go to the grocery store and like people run into each other, they're not kind, you know, like there's a lot of horns being honked right now, isn't there? And um, not by you, because you love Jesus. 
By the way, if you've got some anger issues when you drive and you have a True Grace sticker in the back of your car, get that thing off of there, okay? We have a reputation to protect. All right. So Philippians chapter 1, real quickly, Philippians, um, Philippi was a city in present-day Greece. Maybe a few of you have even uh, visited that area. It was named after Philip II, and the, the book of the Bible, of course, is a letter written to the church, the followers of Jesus, the Philippian believers. I want to take a quick time out and say, who were these people receiving the letter from Paul that we read as the book of Philippians in the Bible? Who were they? Now, you might be like, well, how are we supposed to know who they were? They were some people that decided to follow Jesus in that city, right? Um, But actually, if you read the book of Acts, in some of these cities, you know, you can read about some people in Ephesus, and you can read about some people in different cities, and you can read about people in Philippi who are believers. And so you can kind of put two and two together. When you're reading Paul's epistles, you can also take out the book of Acts and look at these missionary journeys and see who some of those people are that are actually little. Listen, somebody's bringing a physical letter and they open it up and they read it in somebody's home and they say, the apostle Paul has written back to us. We are the fledgling church. That's not like High in the sky, that's physical people in a physical room reading this letter from the Apostle Paul. So what we know uh, from Scripture is there's no local synagogue in any city if there's not at least 10 um, Jewish males that are in in that area. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke um, in Acts chapter 16, they actually show up in uh, this area in Philippi in kind of a strange series of events that even leads them there. And they find down by the river on the outskirts of the city some women, some God-fearing women, probably Gentile women who now are are God-fearing women, and they're down on the shore, and it's like, you know, kind of some, a cool moment for them, like a prayer Bible study kind of setting. So we know that they are part of this. When Paul and Silas enter uh, Philippi, they find these women. Um, and one of them is Lydia, the first convert. The Bible says she's a God-fearing person. And so it's a term um, denoting someone who really fears the Lord. But here's what we know about Acts 16 and Philippi. Watch this. So there's this small group of God-fearing women. And then, go ahead and put on the screen if you guys can. And then there's, uh, there's a girl who's uh, actually a fortune-telling girl. And remember, Paul and Silas, um, they actually cast the demon out of this girl. And her owners get so mad that they can no longer use her to tell the fortune uh, that she gets uh, thrown, or she's not her, Paul and Silas get thrown in jail. So in this city of Philippi, we have a small group of God-fearing women. We have this uh, young woman who was a slave girl, and the demon comes out of her. She no longer uh, uses that gift, and so her owners lose money. And then Paul and Silas are thrown in jail, and they sing their hearts out, and they bless the rest of the, the prison with their, with their joyful singing at midnight. And then um, this is kind of the, the group in Philippi. Um, I often wonder if you just started a church with this group of people, who, who should keep things secure? Oh, we have a jailer in this motley uh, crew. Okay, we need someone to plan events. Well, let's have the fortune telly girl, girl lead that, that, that category. That's probably up her alley. And then Lydia and, and, and the girls, uh, what's their ministry going to be? So you get these, this, this small group of people, and, and they're just, they don't have it all figured out, but they're touched by God. They have passion and conviction in their lives. Sometimes those who have served Jesus for decades lose the passion in the conviction and the excitement that the jailer and the young girl and the God-fearing women have when they receive this letter from Paul. The series is titled Prevailing Joy, Joy That Prevails. Um, Christianity is to be a joyful faith. 
uh, remember that you are forgiven. I mean, every time I just like, I just stop and think about all the things I'm forgiven of, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so thankful. I am so grateful. I have true joy because I've been forgiven of so much. Prevailing joy. And in four short chapters of the epistle of the Philippians, Paul uses the word joy or rejoicing 19 times. And what's crazy about that is when you're in prison and you're chained up and you're eating the awful food they're giving you and you don't get to go somewhere and it's, and it's ridiculous that you're even there, it's persecution that you're there, Paul's writing about joy. Chained to a guard, awaiting trial, not knowing whether he's going to be befriended or beheaded. And he's writing to the church with a joyful spirit, prevailing joy. Some of you right now, I want to just uh, remind you of this, that Paul would trade places with you in a 21st century pandemic in America in a heartbeat. I mean, the food that you're going to eat Thursday, I'm pretty sure that he didn't eat that where he was. I'm pretty sure the comforts that we have and the freedoms that we have, he didn't have anything like it. And yet he's choosing joy. It's challenging, it's convicting in our lives. If ever there was one who'd be justified in being discouraged or depressed, it would be Paul. But he grabs the papyrus and the pen and he writes this epistle of joy. While I'm chained here, I want to write these words of joy to encourage others. Listen, there's a battlefield of the mind going on inside of you today. And you get to choose joy or not. If I choose joy... I choose to change the way I think about a given situation. And when I choose to change the way I think, God will change my heart to follow suit in my life. So even though he's in prison, Paul would rejoice and he would tell us to do so as well. When he wrote this letter, he was thinking clearly, singularly. He he was focused. He was thinking rightly. Listen, if you're thinking rightly, you can have joy in almost any situation and circumstance. And Paul's circumstances were horrendous, and yet he had joy. The scripture says in verse 6 of this, uh, of Acts 16, it says Paul went through Galatia because, listen, this is what they said. Luke says this in Acts. The Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that there's places where Paul goes, the Holy Spirit would not let us enter. And so he went somewhere else. And we, we view closed doors as, well, that's a bummer. Like, you know, maybe the, the authorities didn't let him in. And who knows exactly what kept Paul out of that area. But if, if that wall, if that door had not been closed, if there hadn't been a stop there for Paul, then the ministry to all these people would have never have happened. I want to remind you of this, that stops are as valid as steps. Stops are as valid as steps. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to hit a closed door and things are going to stop. And you're going to go, nothing's happening. God's not moving. I think God is always moving. We just don't always see it. I think God's moving incredibly during a pandemic. Most of the time, I have a hard time. I have to look for it. Uh, When I see 20 people getting baptized in the river, I'm like, okay, God's moving during a pandemic. And when I hear some of these my stories, I realize God's moving during a pandemic. And when I look at my own life, I realize that God's moving during this pandemic. Stops are as valid as, as steps sometimes in our lives. Um, maybe you think God's not moving. I think he is. So here we go. Verses 1 and 2 of Philippians uh, chapter um, 1. This says this. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Some of your Bibles might say servants. He says, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. Um, Paul would use the phrase pastors, elders in kind of the same uh, mantra. And the deacons, of course, did the practical work of the ministry. Verse 2, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
Listen, if you enter into somebody's home, it is okay to still say, I pray grace and peace upon your family. I pray that God would give you peace in your life during this time. What a blessing, what a moment. Um, whenever we have a life group at somebody else's house, I like to just say, hey, can we just pray peace over your home? Because that's not normal. Let's pray peace over your family while we're here in your house. It's, it's our blessing. It's our privilege to do so. Um, may God give you grace and peace. If anybody wants to pray that over uh, Stacy, Peter, Luke, and Cambry, we will receive that prayer, okay? And then Paul says this, verse 3, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I mean, he's thinking about the church. He's thinking about Lydia. He's, he's thinking about the servant girl. He's, he's thinking about the jailer and his family. And he says, listen, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. And the moment I read that, I ask this question. Who is it that when you think of them, you immediately give thanks to God? Who is that for you? I read that, and I immediately thought, oh, I, I, every time I think of Stacy, I give thanks to God. When I don't have to do chemistry homework with one of my teenagers, I give thanks to God that I marry Stacy. There are so many different things that I stop and realize I'm so thankful for you. For some of us, it's friends. Um, sometimes family isn't always what you hoped or wanted it would, could, them to be. Um, it may be certain situations. So we're, some of us, we are so thankful for friends because of the family that you choose. And I love this. You don't have to be blood to be family. I love the family of God because there's a lot of people I feel like you're my family, um, even though we're not related. So who is that person when you think of them, you give thanks to God? Verse 4, it goes on to say this. Um, Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been, part of, you have been partners in spreading the good news, which Paul loves that term, about Christ from the time you first heard until now. And he says this, here we go, verse 6, are you ready? And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I asked a friend, this is one of his life verses. I said, why do you love that verse so much? And he said this. He says, it shows the faithfulness of God through our journey. He said, his hand of providence upon us in the past and in the present and, of course, in the future. He doesn't do a partial work in us. Uh, he does a complete work in and through us. What a fantastic word. Uh, this last couple of weeks... Um, very well-known pastor in Hillsong Church in New York City uh, was relieved of his ministry because of a five-month-long affair, moral failure, and it's in the news, in the news, in the news. And, and it just, um, it makes me hope that someone is grabbing this pastor who's had great ministry effectiveness and some counselor, some seasoned pastor, some wonderful men and women of God, maybe some great deacons who believe in pastors. And I hope people are sitting across from him crying with him maybe with his wife as well, and I hope they're looking at him, and I hope that they're saying uh, things in his life like, the God who began a, a work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. Do you know it's the moments when you hate yourself, and you feel like you ruined your life, and you ruined other people's lives, that you need, verse 6, to be spoken to you and into you? He will continue his work in you. Yeah, but I'm a failure. No. He's going to continue his work in you until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Don't you love it when somebody takes the worst part of their story and it becomes a launching pad for maybe their greatest ministry in the future if they'll cling to Jesus? It's probably for somebody here today. Dark times can trick you into thinking that things won't get better. 
And so this verse is so helpful to the human heart. Our My Story this weekend uh, has this verse actually in it. It was shared three months ago, and I actually saved it for this day because it's so fitting uh, to what's in our text today. Would you guys show that My Story? My name is Janice Keick, but um, basically I, I had a job where I wasn't welcome. It didn't matter what I did. It was wrong. And I was a single mom. I, I didn't really have a community beyond that because this job was all-consuming. But basically, I, I ended up um, walking out of that employment situation. And I, I ended up um, walking away from the church also. I felt like there was a place for me nowhere. And one of the people that came into my life was a woman who, um, she, was, she was dying of ovarian cancer, and I was preparing a therapeutic diet for her. She was, um, she was a Christian woman with a very supportive husband, three beautiful children, and there were so many times when I would deliver my food to her, and I would pray that the Lord would take my life and allow her to live. Um, I was that far down. When she passed, other things started to happen. So a week after Callie died, I came back to church here to True Grace, um, and I started to have connections at church again. Um, and shortly after that, I met a new friend. Um, she invited me to come live in her beautiful home, a home that I could not have, I could not have imagined, and I. I would have never asked the Lord for anything like this. I, I was just like, you know, can I please have a safe place to stay while, while I heal from too much of this? Can I just have a safe place to stay? I am not where I used to be in my Christian walk, and I have a lot of work to do. Um, but it is very much my intention to continue on this path because I know the Lord has began a good work in me, and he is faithful to complete it. Thank you, Janice. I love that line. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm, I'm intent on getting back there and perhaps even greater because God is faithful and he's going to complete the work that he began in me. For some of you right now, you kind of started out and you kind of hit a lull and it's time to restart and uh, God's going to complete the work that he began in you in your life. Verses 7 and 8 say this very clearly. It is right that I should feel this way about you. Like, watch this. The task-oriented, mission-driven, the Apostle Paul, like everybody should be as, you know, get beat up for their faith like me. You know, he's just kind of this intense guy. Well, that's what he says. Um, it's right that I should feel about you as I do. You have a special place in my heart. Aw. Uh, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've read about Paul. I know how intense and task-oriented and mission-driven he is. And even Paul stops and says, I have this compassion, this tenderness, this affection, this love for you as you try to follow Jesus like me. Uh, you can be a very task-oriented person, and you can love people deeply and tenderly. Amen? And it clearly, Paul does that. 
Verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in the knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. Let's read that again. I want you to understand what really matters. Don't hard times force us to choose and decide what really matters? Doesn't death cause us to stop and think about what really matters? Doesn't gatherings of faith Stop and help you think about what truly matters. Listen, someday I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with all those friends and people that I love that have died. I'm excited about that. Anybody else like that? And that's a beautiful thought. I can't wait for that to be reunited with so many people. What truly matters. Verse 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul says really clearly, listen, the good news is uh, my suffering is helping to spread the the gospel, which is crazy. Verse 12 and 13, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. When I got beaten, when I got arrested, when I got told to eat this and stay here and I couldn't talk to my friends, hey, listen, it's all been for good. Yeah, shut up, Paul. What are you talking about? I can't live up to that. Amazing, verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. There's no like, what's he in for? Everybody knows he's in for believing and following Jesus. And people are asking themselves, why would a guy allow himself to, be, to stay imprisoned if he turned his back on his faith? And the word is getting around. This guy is he's powerful. This guy is committed. What is it about this Jesus that this guy won't give up on? Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Paul's in prison. He could be pouting, but instead he's, he's writing this letter. And listen, I want to remind you, Jesus, um, just as Moses Right, God, he used that staff, and David used his sling. God used Paul's chains to advance the gospel. Moses had a staff. David had a sling. Dave, but God used Paul's chains. And here's the question. What will God use as a weapon for the gospel in you? Chains. Man, I don't know about that one. I think having the staff to separate uh, the the Red Sea or something like that, that's cool. A a sling to slay the giant. Yeah, sign me up for that weapon, you know. Um, And then others of us, it's like we're playing the game of Clue and we get like the candlestick. And we're like, what? Or or maybe your Frodo Baggins, you're like, you get this little jar of perfume, use it when necessary, right? Wait a minute, I, I want the other stuff. I want the sling, but I get the chains, That's what's going to propel the gospel around the world is my suffering. A staff to separate the sea is cool. The sling to slay the giant. Yeah, baby, chains to keep you from freedom. No, thank you. Some of you right now are going, oh, I'm Paul. That's why I'm stuck with the family that I have because God's using chains in my life. Or my suffering, my weakness. Uh, If I stop and realize it is being used for the gospel. My addictions, even my past, my abuse can be used for the advancement of the good news of the kingdom of God. Remember when God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, a staff. And God said, use what you have with you. So the assignment, the action assignments today is, what is God going to use in your life? What suffering, what tool, what weapon, what part of your story is God going to use to encourage, to bless, and to advance 
the cause of Christ around the world. Wow. Verse 18. Um, Paul has been talking to the church in verses 15 through 17, and he says, listen, there's people that are preaching the gospel, but not out of pure motives. And he stops, he says, they preach with selfish ambition. They're not sincerely intending to make, uh, not sincerely, in fact, they're intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached. So either way, I rejoice. Paul is so intent on the good news getting out to people and God using his life while he still has breath that he doesn't even care if some people are selfishly motivated. He just wants to get the message out there. The word contention means to canvas politically. And it's kind of like a candidate shaking hands in order to win votes. And Paul is saying some preach Christ to increase their own influence. But even if they do, even if it comes at a cost to me, I'm going to be grateful that the gospel is being put out there because the gospel has power in itself. And the Bible does not return void. I want to ask you, as you consider what will God use as a weapon in your life to share the gospel, what part of your story, what part of your journey, what what talents or gifts, I want to ask you today to slow down and to breathe. If you're in a fight with your family, take a deep breath breathe. If you're insecure, troubled, take a deep breath and realize that God is with you in the midst of today's circumstances. Be encouraged by this. Nothing can separate you from the Lord except yourself. And I'm determined that I'm not walking away from Him. What's going to separate you from the Lord? Nothing. So would you breathe? Would you pray? Would you show patience and kindness to that neighbor, that family member? Would you be the church that Paul is writing to? And would you even allow your suffering to produce good and the gospel in the world around you? Would you bow your heads for just a moment today? What a chance to slow down and wait on God. Lord, we did not expect the holidays to come with lockdown, angst, masks, and far greater than that, isolation and for some suffering. So Lord, my prayer over your church is they would have prevailing joy. Lord, it's not just the Apostle Paul that can be imprisoned for his faith and choose joy. It's not just Silas or Luke that can be stopped from entering the city and those they went to reach and be turned around and redirected toward a place called Philippi only to realize your hand was leading them there. Lord, remind us today that Our lives are in your hands. And Lord, wherever you lead us, we'll serve you. Whatever the circumstances, we'll serve you. Lord, there's a good work that you've started within us. And some of us need to be reminded today that you will continue that work in us until it is finally finished on that day when Jesus returns.
Lord, dark times can trick us into thinking that we messed up and, and our faith is over and that things won't get better. We forget that there's windows of pain and suffering, but joy comes in the morning. So Lord, help us to choose joy during the dark days. Lord, help us to be a person who looks into the eyes of someone who thinks that they've disqualified themselves from eternity. And remind us, Lord, the same way your hand has been upon our life in the past and the present, you will be that way in the future. Lord, you don't do a partial work in us, you do a complete work in us. And Lord, I pray that if we have to suffer, if we have to go through hardship, that you will be glorified in us. So Lord, you gave Moses a staff and a calling none of us would choose. You gave David a sling. And a life only the bravest would choose. Lord, you allowed Paul to be chained. And the gospel spread like never before. And Lord, we are also believers. Lord, help us to realize what weapon you will use in us that eternity, that the gospel might go forth. Lord, take every addiction, every abuse, every suffering, every speaking gift, every encouragement gift, every teaching gift. For those who are good with their hands, use that, God, to spread the good news. For those who are disciplined and hard workers, for those who pray powerfully and, and ask for the miraculous, God, use that to bring good news. Lord, someday the last piece of sand will fall from the hourglass of our lives. And we want to waste nothing. And we want to impact as many people as possible. So Lord, today, we choose to rejoice with prevailing joy. Use everything in our lives. Advance the kingdom of God. And Lord, today, we just say so clearly what you reminded us of just last week. Regardless of what the future holds, regardless of what the authorities say, regardless of how far the pandemic reaches, regardless of how long till life gets back to whatever normal is, people will find me still being me, still serving God, honoring him with my life until I get home. I'm a citizen of heaven. God, thank you for your voice, your presence here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Listen, um, in your week of Thanksgiving and your Thanksgiving gathering, make sure that you are setting the tone with a thankful heart, regardless of your circumstances, all right? It's going to be a great Thursday, great Thanksgiving. Check back online to find out what's going on live, if we're all online, all those things as we go. And if you're here live, we need you to slip out of the room because we're going to disinfect every single chair because uh, we're going to do our absolute best to keep people safe. All right, God bless you. Thanks for being in church. God bless you. Thanks for being here online.